from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And it reads, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I like to say, Lord, from the start, thank you for breaking through my heart. Thank you for tearing every chain apart. When I was lost, you made a way. You turned the darkest night to day. You are my joy and Lord, I like to say. Saturday night, uh, the Cowboys were out of town. Steve Linscombe was out of town, so Mark called me because he says I'm the tech staff guy, and he wanted me to run the new streaming service. And so, Steve, I know you're back there streaming us this morning, and last week Brad, uh, Brad walked all over the stage, and I missed so many of his shots. So I'm going to walk way over here for you this morning, Steve, and get out of your picture, and then I'm going to walk way over here because I know that this is just a really tough job. This is a tough job back there to do. And I, uh, I, uh, they gave me uh, about uh, three hours notice to go back there and learn all those new switches. And so uh, I, I tried. And as you can probably tell, I, I'm probably better back there than I am up here. But Mark is out of town this morning. And uh, he, please pray for him because he is preaching in Amarillo today at the Central Church as they are celebrating 50 years of missions there. Let me first of all just tell you thank you for all of you, all 150 of you who volunteered for the fall festival last night. We had almost 500 people attend. 
so many guests here, and I want to thank you for living out your faith in a way that not only serves our kids, but serves the kids of our neighborhood. And God be praised for all that happened last night. And I know some of you are still on a sugar high, and you have candy to eat, and I would be happy to take all those almond joys off your hands. You know, uh, I've done many wedding ceremonies in my life, and I've officiated many of them, and it's because I have a relationship with either the bride or the groom. And next Saturday, I started writing the ceremony for next Saturday. Caleb, our oldest son, is marrying Elizabeth, the answer to many years of prayer. And I'm going to have a little bit hard time with those words. I'm struggling with those words, not because I don't have a relationship with these kids, but I'm wondering how to tell Elizabeth in a few words what it's like to be a shall. <laughs> and then I think of all the things that I probably missed in our parenting years, and Caleb just asked me one thing as I officiate his wedding next week, to keep it short. <laughs> I told him the other night that I'll keep it to about 45 minutes of advice. And so hopefully this morning I won't break out into one of those lines for the wedding. But you know, as we gather here this morning, we gather as a family and there's no perfection among us. In fact, there's much brokenness about us. But we gather here as God's children this morning to celebrate his goodness and his grace and his mercy. In fact, we gather here this morning because we are a redeemed people, a people that have been set free. This morning, for just a few minutes, let us focus on what it means to be a people that are redeemed. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches God's grace that he lavished on us. This morning, as we begin talking about redemption, let's visit Chuck E. Cheese. My kids are growing up now, but when they were younger, they used to love to go to Chuck E. Cheese for their friends' birthday parties and for their own. Kids love having parties there, and even when Janet was out of town, it was a dad's place to go take the kids. Why not? Dinner's ready. There's games, and your kids are in a controlled environment, whatever you want to call a controlled environment. But you know, over the years of going to Chuck E. Cheese, I always witnessed dads. Moms watch their kids. Dads gravitate to skee-ball and whack-a-mole. Yes, with those magic tokens in your pocket, men would pump those tokens into the machines, and they would play and play and play. In fact, they would line up at the skee-ball machines, and they would compete. Surprise, surprise. And it was a badge of honor to see the machine spit out a line of unbroken chains of tickets at the end of each game. And if you were not too ashamed, you'd actually go ask others for their tickets. And see, the idea wasn't to leave Chuck E. Cheese with a pocket full of tickets. You would go over to the corner of the game room where there was a counter and a register and a glass case. And then you would stand there and you would count your tickets and you would look at the numbers next to every one of those prizes on that counter and in that case. And every Chuck E. Cheese had some really cool item that was worth about what seemed like a billion tickets. You would have to live there to get that one. And Chuck E. Cheese called these little corners and all of their franchises the Redemption Center. The place where you would go redeem your tickets for prizes. The place where you would loose that prize from the bondage of its big gray mouse called Chuck E. Cheese. It was the Redemption Center. You know, when we hear the word redemption, we tend to think of it as a Bible word or a church word. But it, the truth is, it comes out of the wor world of commerce, and spe specifically out of the slave world. And when Paul writes those words about redemption to the church in Ephesus, 
there are millions of slaves among the Roman Empire. And Ephesus was one of the major slave markets. In fact, if you went down to the Agora, the marketplace, you could buy imports from all over the world, and you could buy a slave. Paul watched this go on, and we read about his experiences in Acts 18 and other parts of Acts. But when Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, and he used the word redemption, it was vivid. It was a vivid word to them because it was in the context of this slave world. And the idea of redemption is the purchasing from bondage. Redeem and lose a slave from its present bondage to make that slave your own. And when we talk about God redeeming us, we talk about it a little bit different. God redeems us not merely to make us his slave, but to set us free, to make us his sons and daughters. You know, there are many ways that we could talk about being redeemed children this morning. And I just want us to look at three of them really quickly. Redemption in Christ means if we're apart from Christ, we're in bondage. Not being in Christ, we are in bondage. Until someone knows the redemption in Christ, sin has an extraordinary hold over them. We live under the burden of sin. There's a sense that we've missed the mark. Sometimes we choose to ignore that burden of sin. You know, a couple years ago, I read an article about the Oxford Junior Dictionary deciding to remove the word sin from that dictionary. It said that in certain cultures and in certain generations, the word sin wasn't used anymore. Some might think that the people at Oxford have done great things for humanity. If you take the word out of the dictionary, we can feel better about ourselves, and we don't have to talk about the word sin. ABC News did a news story a few years ago on a man named Lee Wan, a Chinese man who, uh, for about four years, was just stu- suffering from extreme headaches, and he had tried every kind of painkiller imaginable. And finally, one doctor decided to do an X-ray on his head. And when they did the X-ray on his head, they found a broken-off four-inch knife blade, and it's wedged in his skull. In fact, Lee Wan kept telling the doctors that he had a stabbing pain in his head. Four years ago. He had been assaulted and never reported it. You see, we don't live well with foreign things in our bodies, and we don't live well with foreign things in our lives. But you and I, we both live in a culture that in all kinds of ways encourage me, encourage us to deny that we have a need for redemption. We live in a culture that encourages us that, to, to deny the fact that we're in bondage to sin. In some ways, we may choose to deal with that hole in our life might be like this. We may choose to deal with it by creating a better self, a better version of you. Like we read self-help books and we look at books called Six-Minute Abs and we think those are going to help. And you and I are not the answer to the satisfaction and fulfillment question in our lives because we're always looking for more. And sometimes we try to fill that void in our life with others. Oh, and the culture loves this one. They love it. That there is someone in our lives that completes us. Thanks, Jerry McGuire. That we place expectations on friends and spouses and children that that they would live in such a way that would erase dissatisfaction with ourselves. Or we play the comparison game and we go through our whole lives thinking someone else is to fill the hole in our life. And you and I both know that doesn't work. And sometimes we try to fill that void in our life with the world. We try to think, take things that God created for good and we pervert them. So many blessings from God that we can, be, can be used in perverted ways. We can run to Bluebell and it seems like magic for the soul. 
or we can, some might drink too much wine, and we take good things that God created, and we think they're going to fill our lives when you, we use them in evil ways. And so often we say to these things, about these things, I find satisfaction in these things, and they let us down, and we run back to them again and again and again. We run back to them just like morons. One of my friends says that we pay the stupid tax for being stupid. And even some of us try to fill that void in our life by trying to be super religious and saying, hey, if, if I can earn my favor with God or let me behave good enough um, to earn God's will. And yes, we live in a culture that finds many ways in our lives to try to fill the whole sin that's created in our lives, but we're still living in bondage by that sin. We're still trying to fill that hole with ourselves and others and the world and religions, and we deny that that hole even exists. The reality is that we are still in bondage with that sin outside of Christ, even if the word sin is not in the dictionary, and we need redeemed. Some try to hide bondage, hide from bondage, or seek it in some other way to break loose. Some are tortured by their bondage of sin. Others think they'll never be forgiven for something they've done, and that's their bondage. And others live life in such a frantic pace, do more, see more, be more, so they never settle and be quiet long enough to acknowledge that they have a need for redemption. You see, outside of Christ, we're in chains. And our redemption in Christ, it's not paid by us. It's interesting how we use the word redemption in our society and in our culture. We associate it with coupons and airline miles and gift cards. We rarely associate it with people. Hey, we talk about athletes redeeming themselves. Go get your victory and set yourself free from the bondage how someone's viewing your last loss. When we talk about teachers, talk to students about redeeming themselves. I'm going to give you an opportunity to redeem yourself. Take the test again. I'm going to set you free from the bondage of the grade that you got on the last test. And companies will say to frustrated customers, give us an opportunity to redeem ourselves. And what are they saying? Give us a chance to set ourselves free from producing a failing product. You know, all of this can be quite misleading in our lives. It can lead us to conclude that our redemption is all about us. And the kind of redemption that Paul is talking about is not found in ourselves. It's found in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I don't have what it takes, and you don't have what it takes to pay the price. In 2008, President George Bush was hosting a Republican fundraiser, $2,500 a flight minimum in Washington, D.C., and then Vice President Cheney sent out invitations to that fundraiser, and one of the people he sent it to was Robert Kirkpatrick. And old Robert was imprisoned in Ohio for drug possession and escaping. But he got an invitation to the Republican fundraiser. How about that? The AP Press picked up this story and they wanted to interview Robert Kirkpatrick, and Robert Kirkpatrick made this comment, tell Bush I'd be happy to attend, but he's going to have to pull some strings to get me there. <laughs> you know, God's saying he's inviting, to us, inviting us to a place at his table, but the only way I can have a place at his table is for someone to take me out of bondage, someone to loose my chains, and that's Jesus. And he didn't pull strings. He got on a cross. He shed his blood. We hear people say all the time, salvation is free, salvation is free. And I agree, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. Our salvation is free because Jesus paid the price. 
And you and I are not welcome to the family of God because we admire Jesus and his example and his teachings. But we're welcome to the family of God because we have been purchased by his blood. He is our redemption center. He is, the cross is our redemption center. Peter put it this way, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But it was with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. You know, his blood tells me that my sins cost me far more than I'll ever understand. And his blood tells me that I'm worth far more to God than I'll ever know. Redemption is, is in Christ because he is the only one who can pay the price. It cannot come and it does not come from me. And redemption through Christ means that we are his. Paul would say later in 1 Corinthians 6.19, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. And as he spoke of himself being in chains, Ephesians 3.1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. You know, Paul, it's interesting, said nothing about being a prisoner in Rome. He knew that he belonged to Jesus before he belonged to Rome. You know, your circumstances in life is not who you are. It's so scary when believers, we don't remember where we live. Paul lives in Christ before he lives in chains. And we live in Christ before we live in chains. And we live in Christ, and it changes the way we, re we respond to everyone else. And sometimes we look at our circumstances to tell us who we are. And sometimes we look at our past and our sins to tell us who we are. And sometimes we look at how people respond to us to tell us who we are. But you know, and I know, that our redemption in Christ means that we are not our circumstances. We are His. And our redemption in Christ means that we are not our sins. We are His. And our redemption in Christ means that we're not what other people say about us but we are his. And our redemption in Christ means that we're not our failures, but we are his. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope for which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incredible great power for those who believe. He prayed this for believers. Maybe this is a clue to us that this prayer needs to be prayed over us. There are times in a believer's heart that it grows dark and loses sight of the one who has redeemed us. It's easy for us to get, forget the power of the blood of Christ that has washed away our sins. My redemption in Christ means that I am free from bondage. My redemption in Christ means it's not because of me. And my redemption in Christ means that I am his. Psalms 137, hope in the Lord. For, the Lord, for in the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. When A.J. Gordon was a minister at the church in Boston, he met a young boy in front of their sanctuary carrying a rusty cage with several little birds fluttering inside the cage nervously. And Gordon inquired, Son, where did you get those birds? And the boy replied, I tracked them out in the field. What are you going to do with them? I'm going to play with them, and then I guess I'll just feed them to the old cat we have at home. And when Gordon offered to buy them, the lad explained, Mister, you don't want them. They're just little wild birds that can't sing very well. And Gordon replied, I'll give you $2 for the cage and the birds. Okay, it's a deal, the little boy said, but you're making a really bad bargain. 
and the little boy went away whistling, happy with his shiny coins. Jordan walked around the, built, the side of the church building, opened the door to the small wire coop, and let those struggling creatures soar into the wild blue yonder. And that next Sunday, he took that empty cage and put it on the edge of his pulpit to use to illustrate a sermon about Christ coming to seek and save the lost and paying for them with his own precious blood. He said, that boy told me that the birds were not songsters, but when I released them and, and they winged their way towards heaven, it seemed to me that they were singing, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. You and I have been held captive to sin, but Christ has purchased and pardoned us. He has set us free. When a person has a life-changing experience through the blood of Jesus, he will want to sing, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. This morning, as we think about people and we living lives of, re of redemption, we think about so many people in our world that needs to hear, need to hear the message of Christ and know the bondage of sin and to be freed by the power of the blood of Jesus. If there's anything that our church can do for you this morning, will you please uh, come as we stand and sing. Jesus, let us come to know you. Let us